Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to another afternoon edition of The Chaser Report. We have a full house here with four microphones and four people. We have Gabby Bolt. Hello. Alex Avulovic. Hi. I'm Dom Knight and the wonderful Re- Rebecca Dana Muno. Woo! I'm Rebecca Dana Muno. <laughs> I feel like that's how I have to and introduce in myself all the time. And you're in the newsroom. I am. This is a bit exciting. She's, mm. yes, getting to talk for more than two minutes, which I she does every <laughs> single day, every <laughs> single podcast. <laughs> and, and more when I'm in social well, situations. We've been doing a whole bunch of interviews with uh, wonderful comedy people and it's time for Beck to get behind the mic. And mm-hmm. uh, particularly I'm keen to hear what you and Gabby have to say to each other about comedy and music coming together because you mm. that's, that's what both of you do. So Alex and I will just sit back and <laughs> let the sparks fly. But also the other thing on the agenda is, Gab, we made Gabby watch all of uni recently. Oh, I just Ooh. got – I just literally shuddered. Can I, can I say <laughs> I loved your work in that, by the way. <laughs> Thank it you. It was incredible. My so, terrible haircut and clothes. If what you do didn't you mean? hear that, iconic. so uni was a documentary that was made about Charles Firth, Andrew Hansen and some other people – Back in the late 90s, they were two of the three main focuses. Mm. Yes, but Beck was in the room for almost all of those incredibly cringe-inducing <laughs> scenes. I yeah. wasn't. I knew everyone, but I wasn't. I stayed away yeah, from the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, you were smart, Dom. You I'm were in smart. like one scene talking with Chaz, which was, you know, deliberate. Yeah. And Beck was there for the – so shall we start there or we start yeah. with – Yeah. What I have questions. You have questions. Okay, there is a bit, I mean, Charles isn't here, so it's kind of great because Perfect. there is a, the scene that sticks out when I immediately think of it. Like, and I, I want to reiterate for anybody listening, I don't have notes in front of me about this. I literally just remember this. Just flashbacks. There is a scene where you're doing the comedy review. Yes, at, the arts at, review. Yeah. yeah, the arts review. And Charles, in his very director fashion, walks into the girls' change room backstage, <laughs> and he's like. Now, look, the audience, It's it's a, it takes a little time to warm up, you know. I don't really know what's going wrong. And I think it's either you or one of your friends is like, yeah, okay, like that's what it is. We're not acknowledging the fact that it's actually just that people didn't want to laugh at women in the 90s. Well, nothing much has changed in the year 2021. Uh. <laughs> and Charles is just like, I don't know what's really going on. I think it's just taking them a little bit longer. And then you just have this look on your face that's like, yeah, yeah okay, Charles. Yeah, it was our pe- our... our intermission pep talk which is really usually <laughs> it's reserved for football or yes. for you know sporting event you don't have the coach or you know you have the coach come in but you don't have the director of the show come in halfway through and give you notes about how he thinks the audience are reacting to your work more energy more i just energy. need some more, more energy 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 as someone who saw that show and i, I you know i want to be kind in hindsight what was it 23 years ago or something oh my god no more 20, 25 years ago yeah. it was 96 25 years ago um I love that Charles never for a moment doubted that it might be the material. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. It was our delivery it was of just said material. You weren't getting the vision. <laughs> That's right. No, but it was it was a really interesting – because, Gabby, after I heard you speak about it yeah. um, on the podcast, I went, oh, I've got to watch it. Yeah. And it's been years since I've seen it. I think I probably watched it about 15 years ago maybe. Wow. And I watched it again and it is, oh, my goodness. And things that back then I didn't even think about um, mm. that were being filmed of our day-to-day uni life – I became quite nostalgic and quite sort of emotional at some things because in hindsight you look at it and go, oh, you know, there's Craig as the stressed stage manager Mm -hmm. and it's good that he got in front of the camera because he was terrible as a stage (laughs) manager. (laughs) I've never seen a stage manager lose his cool so readily. He did look very (laughs) upset for the majority of that episode. He was very stressed. um, You know in the early days of the Chase newspaper, Craig's job was to organise distribution. 
which was like as in work out the news agents and have the whole spreadsheet oh and all yeah? that kind of stuff. How'd that go? Not a core skill of Craig's. No. But going in front of the camera and being spontaneously Amazing. funny turned out to be really good Amazing. I'm yeah. so glad he did that and made the transition. Yeah. Uh, but I can only imagine the changes he would have had to put up with as the stage manager. <laughs> yes. I'm sure he would have been throwing things probably after Charles gave us that pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He probably changed all the cues for Act 2. Who oh knows? Who knows? But, yeah, very interesting stuff. And just to look at all the people in the room. And, and I thought about it too and I, I mentioned this to you, Gabby that yes. I thought it would be really lovely um, for someone to do a documentary on where everyone from that review in particular are now. Because Simon Tajay still around? Well, maybe we should make him I a call. Keep, I keep saying you should call him. And just say, you know, because people have gone on to do, you know, Adam Spencer was in the room as a, yeah. as a, as a writer and, and Sarah Kendall and Tom Gleeson. And yeah, it was a massive You know, there was a lot year. of people so around. Many, yeah. So many successful people went yeah. to uni with Yeah, you. and they focused on Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what a, what a miss. <laughs> oh, I think, but I do recall, this is my little bit of inf- uh, gossip. I, yes. I do recall Simon saying to me at one point, oh, Rebecca, <laughs> um, he said, we had a debate about you. And I said, oh, who won? <laughs> Not knowing. <laughs> what the topic was, but it was about including certain stuff of me. Like, mm. and, and I was so thankful that that didn't happen because uni's where you're meant to just try and fail, Do you know, and, and you embrace the failure and you learn from it and you mm. go, wow. Like I got up and played theatre sports for the first time and was terrible, mm. but I quickly learned how to play, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And, and to have that captured, I have to say, they're brave brave people for allowing mm. it to go oh, ahead. Not brave, completely lacking in <laughs> self-awareness. And that's the, that's the hilarious thing about uni is to have all that cockiness and insecurity that people in the you know, early tw- 20s or late teens have Hello, interns. Um, but but just the total <laughs> lack of any – saying things which would compl- – like any – I'm sure all of you would realise would come yeah. over as terrible. And Charles was just like, <laughs> go into it. Oh, yeah, d- don't worry about it. My, my dad actually knows some of these. Oh, yeah, so. he was really like wearing his whole personality on his sleeve, to be honest. I was and amazed. That's, and that's exactly how he was. Like, It's he, still how he is. You'd have mm. to see it. I mean, I remember when I first met Charles, I remember it as clear as day. <laughs> it was in the Wentworth building, and um, which we used to call the cultural desert yes. um, mm, at nice. Sydney Uni when we were there because there was nothing happened. Everything happened in Manning. It was where engineers went to get hot chips. That's right. That's right, nice. and, and swap flannies, and um, <laughs> and we we, we, had, we did a theatre sports show in the evening over there. Oh god! And it was um, uh, Adam Spencer was hosting. Rob Carlton was in a team and everything. And Charles was introduced to me by somebody. I can't remember who it was. And then I just started riffing, you know, yeah, with Charles. And he ended up on the ground uh, on the floor of Wentworth, <laughs> laughing and oh. rolling around, going, "Who is this woman?" <laughs> And I just was like, oh, I think we might be friends yeah. for, <laughs> for a very long time That's actually this. what happened when I got hired as well. Yeah, he just rolled on the ground, um, <laughs> 42-year-old man. I'm guessing. I have no idea how old Charles is. He just yeah. had a birthday, didn't he? I literally wished him happy birthday. It, it wasn't 42. 49? Am I close? 46. 46. 46. 46. Yeah. Oh, That's our average age. <laughs> that wasn't even worth it for the joke, really, was it? What? Is the significance of swapping flannels? Oh no, I just made that up. Um, (laughs) I really did. I've got to say, um, when I do the headlines, they are scripted. It is on the page, and I read what's written in life and in my performance. I make it all up. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online 
and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Chaser Report. News you can't trust. You know what's really funny about the uni documentary as well is that the one I think I said this when we did the whole segment on the podcast, but like the thing that I I even escaped it feeling nostalgic for a time that I was barely alive for. Mm. And the thing is, I just think you couldn't do it now. Like you couldn't film a documentary that um, candidly mm. because mm. everyone now would see it as an opportunity to launch a career. Like reality yeah, TV course. is no longer just observing of reality. It's it's like people can launch themselves off it. And so people would be filming the whole time or being somebody else. Whereas you guys, it just seemed like you were like in a room and cameras were there and you didn't but really also, care. I, I hate to say this, but it, I'm pretty confident Charles thought he was launching a career. Oh, oh well, Charles did, but that's my, Charles. My favourite moment in the whole doco is when he goes, this is going to go national. Oh, yeah, I have a clip <laughs> of that somewhere. Of you, like, just <laughs> travelling around the country. He, he thought he was He thought he was going to be the new, I don't know, there wasn't... That didn't happen back then, did uh, it? I remember in a share house I was living in, um, Charles came over one night and we drank a bottle of cask wine. Nice. As you do, goon bag. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wrote, like, what we wanted to achieve in our Aww. lives. And um, number one on Charles's list was start a media empire. Well, Whoa. and I just and I said to him, I still resent you to this day because I think my number one was become a national, <laughs> a national name or some perform and act somewhere amazing. But Aww. I always remember Charles's was that. But I don't think you could film a documentary like Uni now mm. anymore because nobody is on campus like they were back then. No, no the we, life is not the, the same. The life is not the same. I mean, the fact that the bars were open all day and all night and amazing. you could always go in and out and chat with people and that's how you met people. I mean, yeah. the, the activities that everybody was doing back then, I don't think they the student mm. services are the same because yeah. everyone does it all from remotely and from home. Yeah, and it's also like we have computers in our pockets. Yeah, like exactly. our brains are constantly Yeah, We had lecture pads. That's what we had and that's I'm left-handed and I had to always get turn them upside down and back to front <laughs> my uh, hand would hit the spiral. Oh, <laughs> the my God. Yeah, like and I just – it made me a little sad for – like it's, it's like that whole like I was born in the wrong generation thing, but it just makes me go like I'm like I, that I for, I'm like that for the 1940s. <laughs> I keep saying I was born like Gene wrong Ke- generation. Gene Kelly and I were destined to oh, be together. Yeah. I'm sure of it. It could still happen. We could hire a tap dancer here. We have could, could we get a seance going? Because I don't think he's um, <laughs> I don't think he's available. Yay! Oh, ooky spooky chaser episode. Let's do it. The amazing thing looking back though, Beck, as you say, so many people went into to comedy and, and are still doing it today. And it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Thinking back on all the decades you just sort of kept pushing this this stuff. Um, when was the point where you knew improv was your thing? Because um, if, just as a footnote, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but Beck is a world champion of uh, theatre sports. So Fuck yeah. Mm, that just, I mean, very early on, I remember mm. you with the legend of theatre sports even on campus. Mm, yes, and? How did it all happen? Yes, and. Well done. <laughs> Shit uh, joke. One of the rules. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting because I um, always wanted to be an actor. And so the reason I went to Sydney Uni was because of um, the SUDS, the Drama Society. Mm. And that was the first club or society that I joined in week and that was my mission and I auditioned for um, the major production of Suds when I was a first year and I oh my goodness I got in and it was like oh my goodness this is eye-opening this is extraordinary these amazing talents and then um, I was one of only a few people from my school that went to Sydney Uni for a start but I was one of the only I was probably the only art student and so I didn't know anyone 
I just mm. turned up and was like, oh, my God. And Suds was a way for me to meet like-minded people and get creative. Mm. And then I was, I heard this thing about this thing at lunchtime up in Manning Bar and at, at one o'clock on a Thursday and I thought, oh, I'll go check it out. <laughs> And I watched and I sat, stood there just watching it and I was like, oh, no, theatre spots, I remember. Because I used to watch the show on the ABC that mm. they filmed at Belvoir Street, wow. which was hosted by Paul Chubb and, you know, and you know Sean McAuliffe played, Andrew Denton, like they were all huh. in teams back then. Wow. And I thought, oh, I'll just watch I remember this. And so I watched it and I was like, oh, there's no way I could do that. Like I was just like, oh, my God, they're amazing. And it was a nice way to kill an hour <laughs> with other people but you could be on your own. Yeah. And then – I started going week after week and it, eventually I started thinking of things to say in mm. response to what somebody, some line that somebody would say on stage and I'd come up with a reaction straight off. Yeah. And I went, oh, maybe it's not so sort of distant as I thought. And then a friend of mine, um, Dan Lloyd, um, he said to me, he was going back to, to do honours I think that year and he said, I said, oh, you can play theatre sports again. He was one of the stars and he said, mm. we should play. And I said, but I don't know. He was in the play I had done. I said, I don't know how to play. It goes, doesn't matter. And he literally dragged me on stage. (laughs) I had no idea of the rules of what I'd never done it before. And Adam Spencer would say, you're now doing a, you know, play in the style of. And I'd turn to Dan and go, what's that? And he goes, "Uh, we're doing it in the style of like a genre, like, you know, Goldilocks (sighs) and the Three Bears, like a Western Five. Wow, so he's actually footnoting you during the the setup. So you have to to improvise not only the scene. But how to improvise that sort of scene. <laughs> exactly. And, so, and I was like, oh, and I was literally thrust on stage. Oh and the first God. time I had done it, not so great. But then maybe the second or third. Were you hooked though the first time? I was. That's why I went back a second time. Mm. I wouldn't have done it had I not found something in it that was a bit exciting. Because yeah. I've been watching from afar, I knew. And then it was, it was almost, and to this day when I improvise, because that's how I do my stand-up, it's how I do all my comedy, I'm still shocked when an audience laughs or reacts a certain <laughs> way because I'm going, what was funny about that? Yeah. Like, I'm so immersed in the character and everything, I don't realise it. And I just remember getting this response one lunchtime from the audience and it was the equivalent of a stadium gig. I remember mm. just Fuck going, yeah. oh, my God, because when things went well at Manning Bar, you knew about oh, it. Oh, and it was so packed. I mean, it's hard to imagine nowadays, but – you, it was hard to get a spot in the room. People were sitting on the bins, like on the I bins and everything, and it was, and you know, people were. It was, but when things went poorly, <laughs> you also knew about it. So it was a <laughs> baptism of fire. I was like, oh, there was heckling. Know. Oh, there was oh, so much heckling. Uh, it reminded me that the only other time I felt that same moment was um, being in at late and live in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe and seeing the audience um, throw their pint glasses at Russell Brand <laughs> to get him off stage. I went. That's a bit Manning. Yeah. I just think it was just a little bit, you know, and I'm quite lovely and sentimental at the same time. <laughs> it's so funny because I feel like I, I don't really relate much to the upbringing because I, I don't think I've really gotten into comedy in a time where audiences are allowed. But um, I do feel like I played music gigs for like six years of my life mm. and they were always fun. I always really enjoyed them, but I never really felt like I left them going, fuck, this is like just the best feeling ever. And my first comedy gig with an audience, I walked off stage just feeling like I'd just taken heroin like I literally oh. was like I want to kick a car that was so fun like yeah <laughs> it's it's an extraordinary feeling and you can understand like in stand-up in particular you know and everyone goes oh my god the, the Melbourne Comedy Festival it must just be a month of you know the most amazing stuff and you go yeah but it's also a month of um, people by most 
measures are quite insecure, uh, are very needy. Uh, you Comedians. Know, des- wow, yeah, oh my God, you have to read me. <laughs> desperate to be loved, you know what I mean? And so, and yeah. so you, can, you can see over the course of that one month of doing shows every night, you know, six nights a week, yeah. and then other gigs that, that you pick up along the way, yeah. you can just feel the – the warmth and the everybody's mm. wrapping themselves in a blanket going, I need to get that fixed tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I need it. And and we need it from each other, that that huh. thing as well. It's a very yeah. different it's a very different drug to be Yeah, on. it's it's kind of it feels a lot like a family, but like not like a weird MLM scheme, you're part of the family thing. It's more like a genuine ever since I got into comedy, I just feel like or maybe I just got insanely lucky, but I feel like a lot of the people I've interacted with in the comedy scene have just it's like this pass down of information that you well, do. Well, that's, that's really great. And I'm glad that you said that because <laughs> – no, That got, seems rare to me. I've got to say, yeah. I've got to say, I – having sort of done improv as much as I did and toured and went over, over the world with improv mm. and then I decided to get back into stand-up and it's a very solitary pursuit, which yeah. you know, improv normally isn't. And I went, ooh, you know, and just in the last couple of years, particularly I was in – I'll give you an anecdote. I was in a tour van yeah. driving to Albury-Wodonga. And Classic. all all of the young people were in the van <laughs> with me. And I just turned at one point and I said, you know what? I just realised I could have birthed all of you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I am that age where I could be all of their mum. Like yeah. I, I, that's who I am. And then I just turned at one point and I said, you know, and like Danny Glover in Lethal <laughs> Weapon, I think I'm too old for this fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it does get – it's a really interesting because in improv always you're supported because you need trust mm. with mm. those people you perform with. You need to trust them. Um, you need to look into their eyes and kind of know where they're going. Yeah. Stand up, not a lot of eye contact yeah. amongst yeah. acts. Not a lot of um, – because it's like – Interaction. You know, interaction. And I'm not poo-pooing my mates in comedy <laughs> at all. Um I, they know the ones I love, and uh, and I know the ones I love. Uh, <laughs> but it's interesting because um, I just think I think things are changing for those coming up in the world of stand up in particular. Yeah, because back when I was doing it, you had to travel to the Manly Boat Shed, you had to do Oatley Hotel, <laughs> and if you didn't do well in those gigs, well, it was unlikely you were going to get put on at the comedy store. Whereas mm. comedy has changed now with technology. So you can put something out online and mm-hmm. now people go, oh, my God, and suddenly the live gigs flow, whereas yeah. we had to do all the live gigs and you had to really die. It. Really, like, they, yeah. like, oh, my God, so, there's some gigs you die. <laughs> so that's fascinating. So because of YouTube and all that, you mm. can actually start to find your niche because when every, every performer has a yeah. particular audience – and if you've got a particular niche or a weird or surreal comedy, for instance, mm. is a great example of that. Like I'm not big on surreal comedy, but a lot, a lot of people absolutely love the sort of Noel Fielding style mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And then you can find those people on it's, – it's beautiful because you have the filtration, whereas I can just imagine – Someone like that going to play an RSL club <laughs> and getting literal thi- like bottles thrown at their it's, head. It's absolutely true. I've seen it time and time again because – and then at the, say, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, it's their fans that they've already established yep. from their yeah. online presence that are coming to see their show and they're going to love everything they do. Whereas I've had to learn to adjust my material to, you know, regional towns, to, um, you know, pubs where there's three audience members and yep. that you're just interrupting their schnitty and chips. You know, like Fuck. there's a whole and, – and that for me, 
has given me the versatility that I think I'm really happy that I that I had. Yeah. And so I think that there's when I say generational gap, um, I still get along with young comedians like I do those my age. But there's a it's almost like a nod and a wink of yeah. like we've been in the trenches amongst <laughs> yeah. those that are my age, a you know, that have been story. around for a yeah. while. Like we we. Back in my day, we used to have to actually make people laugh. (laughs) You know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Chaser Report. News a few days after it happens. I think it's also really interesting because, like, I mean, I think there is still a long ways to go for, like, women reception in comedy as well. But I feel like the shit that you and other female comics of your generation must have Mm -hmm. had to fucking put up with. When I um, won the world champs, the improv world champs at the Just For Last Festival, right? Yeah. um, I kept getting late and I got player of the tournament and I was the first woman to ever win that, right? Fuck yeah, you were. Hell yeah. Got the trophy to prove it. You know, like, Carl Reiner and I have the same trophy. Oh my God. I'm just whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's a standard trophy that everybody gets at um, Just for Laughs. It's a trophy. But it's a trophy, right? And uh, when I got that, it was really interesting that I was constantly being referred to when I came back home as the best female improviser. Mm. What the fuck? And I, it bugged me because it was like, no, I beat the men. Yeah. Like there was no gender in this. It yeah. was I just happened to be a woman that won yeah. it. But that doesn't mean that I was in the category, the female category. Mm-hmm. I kicked the men's ass just as much as I kicked mm-hmm. the women's ass, you know. And I found that incredibly frustrating. And when I first started improvising, somebody who, who'd been around for quite a while said to me, you improvise like a man. Oh, my God. Ooh. Like there's a gendered way to do it. What is a man offering to improvisation that a woman can't? Well, what, what, do they get their dick out and well, flick it around everywhere? Like they do. The penis. Hang on, that's a legitimate <laughs> art form. Well, that's another story. Um, anyway, we've got heaps of Anyway, I've got so many stories, um, but I'm going to keep to the point. Um, yeah. But it's true. And I said, well, if that means that I am brave enough to come out and start a scene, if that mm. means that I am brave enough to play any character, be it, I played an entire scene as a golf ball once on the stage <laughs> at, at Belvoir Street Theatre. Have, have you got a voice? Oh, my God. I think I was a bit like that. I love this. <laughs> because I was little, but when I was hit, it was, Wah! you know, that changed a bit. And the, so I've played everything. I've, I love playing men on stage because it changes Me your whole too. physicality. Mm-hmm. You lead with your crotch. Yes. Just, you take up more space. You sit with your legs open. You I talk a bit like this and you say, hello, how you going? I know. And I said, well, if, if that's what you mean by playing like a man, that I'm being strong on stage, I'm starting scenes, I'm, you know, a presence that people are, well then so be it and mm. PS fuck you and PS fuck you <laughs> it's so annoying I feel like I mean I feel like it's changed a lot obviously I will never know 
how you suffered. But even online, like I share some of my songs and stuff and I'm still developing as a comedian. I have no fucking idea what my niche is yet. I haven't really even done my show yet. But like the comments I get, at first it didn't bug me. It's then the sheer volume of getting things like, you're the female Bo Burnham, the mm-hmm. female Tim Minchin, mm-hmm. the female Flight of the Concords. And yep. I'm like, a male musical comedian isn't getting you're the fem- you're the, <laughs> the male, male Victoria version. Wood That's or right. like the male That's Jude right. Pearl. They're not getting because the, that. because the men in comedy will always hold other men to the standards that, that they feel that they've set. Yeah. Fuck. That no. sums up comedy for me. Fuck. Whereas women hold themselves up to the mm. same standard that they've set themselves. Yeah. I reckon that's the big difference. Can I ask about improv though, Beck? Because yeah. when you read bios of American comedy legends, people from SNL and all these sorts of things, you always hear that it's improv. It's Second City or it's um, Upright Citizens Brigade or whatever the thing is. Mm. Improv is this god it's kind of industry in the US or certainly used to be. And, um, I mean, Steve Carell's character in The Office yeah. um, is always like, yeah, doing improv, we'll do a scene. And, we'll, and so, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't exist here to the same degree. Now, admittedly, um, some of the people who we work with at Giant Dwarf, there's training and stuff for people who want to be improv, do, do improv these days, but it's not, it's not anything like the scene in the US. And I wonder what you think about that as someone who's been part of this scene here, because, I mean, in the States, at your level of ability, oh, holy yeah. hell, you would have been on SNL, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. When we did The Worlds over in Canada, for me, it was the first time I'd improvised overseas. And the queues for our shows were around the block. They sold out every oh, night God. and they were in a massive – we played in the round and it was for TV as well, so we had all these cameras and, oh, you know, and the, the matches were three hours long and then they would edit it down to a TV version of an hour. And those people stood there around the block to watch us. And I had on my pass, my performer's pass, and it had a special thing on it and it said what I was part of, that I was part of the World Improv Cup. And people would look at that on my Mm. lanyard and be like, oh, my God, you're you're part of the improv. You know, like it was – we were lauded and I'd never experienced that before here. And I remember as I was teaching the – uh, contestants on Australia's Next Top Model to improvise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that I turned to a friend of mine, not realizing I was still mic'd, by the way. Like I said, <laughs> All my years of attempting to elevate improvisation to an art form, and I've reduced it to this. Oh. That's what I said. But that was it's kind of iconic. And then when you were mic'd, you're like, It's a character, it's a bit. It's a character. Yes, and. I, yes, was, and. I was playing a bitchy improviser. Acting uh, is reacting to reactions but no it was it was just because i did dedicate my entire early part of it trying to get people to appreciate it and sadly it was only when whose line is it anyway started happening here like people started um playing it on tv yeah that every time we do a show they go if you've seen whose line is it anyway if you've seen then that's what we do and i'm like Mm. why are we equating ourselves with a show that at that point was british based and us based and wasn't based here but because it was a reference point that people could go, oh, it must be legit. Improv must be legit now because it's on TV. Yeah. But it's always been on TV. Years before I was doing it in, on Canadian TV. Mm. But it's – so I do I've, – I've become – I got really frustrated there for a while because I sort of – I feel like I sort of dug the trenches and walked through them and now others are climbing over the top of me yeah. to – have the opportunities that we didn't have. And I think what a shame because we're almost 30 years late here Yeah, when it comes to improv. And it is weird because I mean, to me as an audience member, mm. there is a special magic to improv. And 
It's because you know it's a unique journey that you're on, but the mood in the room, you don't get it with stand-up. I mean, people might love a stand-up gig, yeah, yeah. but it doesn't have the magic of – and and to me, the what people will laugh at, if, if it was um, – if they didn't know it was improv, they'd feel differently about it, but – you just you want the performer to succeed and mm. to win, and mm. it's like watching someone's brain unspool before you. It's just an amazing well, thing. We at Theatre Sports Inc. We had a, a, a slogan that we uh, used, and it was by Carl Reiner. I just adore yeah. that man, and it said, "A brilliant mind in panic is a wonderful oh, thing yes. to see," <laughs> and that is that's what sums it up because you you never know this could fail within mm. an, within the blink of an eye. This scene could go. I remember playing the um, Cranston Cup Grand Final at the Emmore Theatre one year. And we were the team to beat. We'd won all our heats. We'd won our semi. We were winning in the first half. We played one scene and it stunk. And we all three of us turned to the trophy and waved goodbye to it. (laughs) And so we were – because we were – everything was set up for us to win. And just that one moment of something not connecting and not working and it was over. And it's a tightrope, isn't it? It absolutely is. It's it's the trapeze act. And as I say, like when I teach improv, I always say, you know, you're standing on on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. And those that want to play it safe will let their toes sort of hang over the edge and that's as far as I'll go. Those, there might be some that might go onto their heels and you go, ooh, oh, that's a bit more daring. But it's those that just take a running leap off the cliff and see what happens, that's the most exciting part. Figure it out when you're mid-air. Yeah. Like don't, don't stand <laughs> like on Looney the edge, tunes. you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I, did, um, I did actually have a meeting once with a Hollywood agent. <gasps> I will have to, um, I have to tell this story. So I went, um, I went for this meeting. I flew to LA. I was on my way to perform at the Edinburgh Fringe mm. um, to do an improvised Broadway musical. Oh, my God. And um, I decided to go to the States on my own and just travel through the States and then go to London and then on to, um, to Edinburgh. Anyway, works out. I got this. It's such a random story. A quite well-known actor here in Australia saw me in a show and got in touch and thought I was great. And somehow he got me this meeting with... A comedy agent, huge oh comedy God. agent in LA. Wow. So I get there and I'm like preparing to go to this, you know, place. And I, I was so nervous. My my showreel had been sent on and all that kind oh of stuff. And God. I sat there and then the assistant came and greeted me, who was clearly the one who'd seen my stuff. Right? Oh, so shit. greets me and everything. And I go in and I sit on this big, there's this, the, the room is completely empty, but there's this L-shaped couch. No. And it's huge. It fills up like both walls of, oh. of like, and I'm just like, then I just stood there going, where do I sit? Like, <laughs> is the part? corner too what presumptuous? Is the, <laughs> is the middle being a bit fresh? Like, where do I sit on this couch? So I was, if there was a camera watching me, I would have just been going, balking at all my choices <laughs> of which cushion to sit on. That's part of the test. <laughs> it is <laughs> part of the test. And then I sat down and I waited and I waited and I waited. Oh and in God. walks this comedy manager holding a bowl of dry cereal. <laughs> Mood. And just comes in eating these dry cereal, right? And oh sits opposite me and says, want some? I'm no. like, oh, no, thank you. Thinking, it took me 20 minutes to figure out where to sit. Um, <laughs> now you want me to eat dry cereal? Like, what is this? This is like, and then I kept looking for the hidden cameras because I was convinced I had been uh, in an elaborate setup like for Candid Camera or something like that oh. because this friend had organised this thing and now suddenly I've got this, where do I sit on this couch? I've got this guy eating dry cereal. He <laughs> then gets up and leaves me again. So I'm sitting there on my own. Nothing has happened right. Half an hour into this meeting. Then he sits down and he says to me, oh, Okay, so you and all your characters that you play are on a boat 
The boat is sinking. <laughs> Which character do you save <laughs> and why? Was his opening question. Are you fucking serious? And I is said, this, well, sorry. Is this the same guy with the cereal? Yes, I'm oh. cereal mm. guy, right? Because <laughs> so, he comes back in and then sits down and then he proceeds with this question. I mean, we what all know the, the answer. It's fuck? obviously the golf ball. Well, yeah, yeah. well, clearly. <laughs> if only he could see my golf ball I've work. got a trajectory. Well, I said to him, well, I think I'd probably save myself. I said, because let's face it, without me, they're nothing. Amazing mm. answer. Thought Amazing so. answer. So. Stone cold, shoved a bit of cereal <laughs> in his mouth. <laughs> this is my nightmare. And he's like, I, you know, I could get you on SNL. I could get you on SNL. And I'm like going, well, you may be in my head. I'm like, you probably should watch my show real first yeah. before promising this. It was the most bizarre experience. And then to make it even more bizarre, I was picked up by a friend of mine afterwards to just go and hang out and he's in um reno 911 and oh like, he was the voice of rocco in rocco's modern life and oh, stuff like carlos alazaki and he picks me up and i'm like that was the most demoralizing <laughs> experience of my life and he goes hey welcome to la <laughs> it was just such like a water off a back <laughs> Anyway, fuck? bizarre. That was my – and then I kept waiting for Lorne Michaels to call me, but clearly it never happened. <laughs> he, he hadn't watched a uni. That's I know. Well, if only I'd eaten the cereal. I kept thinking maybe yeah. that was the key. That was was he truth. trying to drug you? I have no idea. It was the most bizarre, bizarre Ooh. day of my life. Yeah. What time of day was it for the cereal? Was it like an afternoon I was, uh, cereal? Yeah, no, we're talking like 11, 11 a.m. That's a weird 11:30? time for dry cereal. Yeah. I mean, I eat night cereal because I'm a little gremlin. <laughs> but I have milk with it. I'm not a fucking criminal. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Chaser Report. Now with extra whispers. I know, so I've got, I've got so many battle stories. I've got so many almost stories where I could have been, you Aww. know, and um, I just feel, yeah, we respected improv here half as much as they do over in North America. Mm. Different story. You're a fucking <laughs> champion. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. We should do a double act. We should. We should. You could teach me improv. And it's so good to see um, so many young <coughs> women coming up into in through the comedy ranks, and I say this all the time, and I say it about improvisers too, but whenever I would see a really strong woman – improvising I'd always go let's play together mm. you know like let's just because I feel like it's a responsibility of people now my age who've been given opportunities and have learned so much you've got to encourage the next yeah generation well you've nobody nobody brings the house down like Beck doing a musical number that's completely <laughs> improvised <laughs> in a genre so um you should hey, give it a go hey, you heard it here oh, first hey. we should yeah I'm I, all about the makeup I love playing <laughs> on the go too so like there you go see 
I think it's yeah. time to take this one offline. I know. Beck and well, Gabby. I, I know. I remember I mentioned Spontaneous Broadway. That was one I of love my it. performing like <laughs> thrills doing that that season. You know, working with Genevieve Morris. You know, Jeff wow. Payne, Julia Zamiro. Oh, you know, wow. like all doing this show where we improvise Broadway musicals <laughs> and pitch Broadway musical Fuck. ideas is just it's heaven, heaven. So I'm all about it. Absolutely. All right, I will keep that in mind. I love doing shit like that. Yeah. I love playing piano on the like I've done one improv piano gig and it's so it's so aggressive in the moment because then somebody's like a tango and you're like what the but then you just kind of do it it's yeah. so free and that's the thing you commit and that's yeah. what you have to do right. in improv are we committing are you both committing what right now i mean i haven't got my keyboard i'm getting not on the podcast i'm saying you're committing to doing a gig Oh yeah, sure. All right, fucking yeah. We'll publicise the podcast, want. and we'll we'll, all right. we'll all sure. fucking turn up. Well, uh, nobody's given me one since we started back after. Well, listen, I I need to no, write. I need to write like one more song for my show. I could just avoid it altogether and get you to come you and go. do my show with there me. There you go. You don't need to prepare. You just need yeah. to. You just need to. Be yes, improv. you've got to prepare. As I say with improv, you've got to prepare to be unprepared. Perfect. That's, That's how I walk need. into this office every single <laughs> day. Beck, thanks for coming in. Pleasure. Lovely to chat. I could have ch- Can we do a part two? Or I absolutely. Three? I suspect we will. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I could keep going for hours. I do you know it? Do you, can you tell I live alone? No. <laughs> <laughs> what a note to leave it on. Our gears from Road Microphones. <laughs> <laughs> We're part of the ACAST Radio Network. We will have. You do. You have us. Move We've in known here. us forever. We live here. We'll catch you next time, Beck. Bye.